Hello everybody, we're thinking of Luke chapter 15 as you well know and I want to just read verses 11 to 24. Then Jesus said a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no man gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am not worthy, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So what I'd like to see here is what I believe to be the teaching of the New Testament regarding the working of the Trinity in unity in the matter of the salvation of the lost. This is, of course, the case in all divine acts. There is nothing other than unity of purpose and of operation in the Godhead. And I want us to just dwell for a couple of minutes on that matter. So the very first verses of our Bible say just that. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. There's nothing more clear than that. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Plus, one of the many beauties of the Hebrew language is that words can be in the singular, dual, or plural. The word for God here in Genesis 1.1 is Elohim, which is the plural of Eloah, the supreme object of worship. However, the word created is in the singular. So here at the very beginning of time is the Trinity acting in unity in the matter of the creation of the heavens and the earth. This is made very clear in our New Testament. In John chapter 1, for instance, where the writer is speaking about the word made flesh, our Lord Jesus, He says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And another scripture in Hebrews chapter 1, speaking about the Son of God again, says this, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. This verse in Genesis 1 speaks about how the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So there you have it, the Trinity working in unity. You will find the same thing in relation to the death of the Lord Jesus. 
It was, as Scripture says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. There's the Son of God. It was God to whom the Lord said after the three hours of darkness, My God, my God, why didst thou forsake me? As Isaiah says in chapter 53, when God made his soul an offering for sin. And Hebrews chapter 9 says of the Holy Spirit, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So here is the Trinity working in unity in the uh, work of the Saviour at Calvary. Also, when we come to the resurrection of Christ, for instance, in Acts 2.32, this Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. And Peter says in his first letter, chapter 3, Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And then in John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus himself says, Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So here again is the Trinity working in unity. And there's plenty of other uh, references uh, to prove that point, if you need it to be proved. So let's return to our chapter in the parable of the lost sheep, the lost piece of silver, and the lost son. We've already said before that the Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, is the one who went after the lost sheep until he find it. And we believe that until was Calvary's cross, the place and the only means by which lost sinners can be brought back to the Father's house. The Holy Spirit is seen in the searching, sweeping, illuminating and regenerating of the silver piece that was found in darkness and lifelessness and brought back into the circle of blessing. And God the Father is seen as the running, embracing, forgiving, welcoming and bountifully gracious recipient of the returning prodigal. I believe then that all three members of the Godhead Trinity are seen in this final part of the parable. You see, the parable is one, not three, as I've said before. Sin and its consequence is that which separates us from God, and our God and Father, who loves us. It takes us away from the fold, away from light and life, and away from the Father's house. The only way back is that the Son of God went to Calvary, the Spirit of God sheds the light of life into our hearts, and God the Father's arms were opened to the repentant returning sinner. So here is that which is amazing and wonderful beyond words. As we look at this parable in reverse, from the end result and glorious outcome, back to the beginning. Here's a prodigal son, having wasted that which belonged to his father, and that his father had given him, on riotous living, being welcomed into the blessings and bounty of the father's home. However could that be? You see, the way back had already been provided for, because someone who had become a citizen of that far country, had found him, and so designed and ordered his path in such a way that he would have to feed swine in order that he would come to himself. 
And once he had got to that point, there arose a bright light above the noonday sun, so to say, that shone into his soul and illuminated him as to his sinful condition. And that shining enlightened his understanding and developed a fresh appreciation of the, of the blessings of the Father's house. It also brought conviction, a willingness of confession and repentance that took him in the direction of the Father's house. The Father knew what had transpired and ran to meet the returning prodigal. He saw his repentance and listened to his confession. But I want you please to notice, after the confession of his unworthiness, that was all that the returning prodigal could do, or indeed needed to do. He was about to tell the father what he deserved and the place he should occupy, but the father stops him. Now the rest of the matter is the father's prerogative. The fatted calf, the best robe, the ring, the sandals, the acceptance, the sonship, and all the rejoicing. How wonderful. But I wonder what these words of Jesus meant to the tax collectors and sinners. Here was someone who had indeed come, so to say, and become a citizen of the far country. His purpose ever was that through his words and ways they would come to themselves. Then they would begin to think of their condition before God and be brought to a state of repentance. This would ultimately bring them to confess their sins and be welcomed into his father's house. But what about you? Have you become the object of God's dealings? Do you feel that God is dealing with you? Has the emptiness of the far country brought you to yourself? Are you beginning to think of the fact your sins will keep you out of heaven? Or are you willing to be found by the Good Shepherd, convicted by the divine enlightener, the Holy Spirit, and ready to come back to God and to eternal life, peace, happiness and a heavenly home? If so, I say reverently, you will find that he will run to meet you, to embrace you and to welcome you into his family and ultimately into his eternal heavenly home. God bless his word to you today.